It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. All right, Met fans, there's two ways we could look at this. We could be really, really positive and say, what a great road trip, 7-3. I was begging for 5-5. Five and five. They went out, they sweep the A's, they win two out of three against the Dodgers. They get a split against a Giants team that's better than what their record says. That's the positive. The negative is they just lost two baseball games that were really frustrating. They just lost two baseball games because they got very, very little from the big stars. Pete Alonso got very cold over the last two games outside of an RBI double by Francisco Lindor. He got very cold, and their starting pitching sucked, just, just to put it nicely. Tyler McGill was not his best. David Peterson was a disaster, and the Mets lose back-to-back games against the San Francisco Giants. We'll give you a little bit of both because the truth is it was a very successful road trip. They did go 7-3, and three, which I think going into this trip we would have been thrilled with. Um, the losses on Saturday and Sunday, they were kind of similar in that other than the starting pitching, they weren't terrible in any other aspect. They scored four runs in both games. You want to see more, but it's not like their offense was completely limp. Their bullpen for the most part was good outside of one bad pitch by Drew Smith. And it was just frustrating losses, which the Mets had against the San Francisco Giants. We'll talk about both games as well as a lot of other things around the Mets. What is David Peterson? Like, who the hell is he? The handling of the rotation coming up next week. And a part of the season right now where the Mets have to fatten up even more than they fattened up out West because they have a very, very soft schedule. So we'll get to all that, plus the latest on Justin Verlander. Let's start with the finale of this series at Oracle Park, Sunday Night Baseball. Uh, and we'll get ripping ESPN out of the way early. I think that for baseball more than any other sport, we want to hear our guys. We want to hear Gary Cohen. We want to hear Ronnie Darling. We want to hear Keith Hernandez. This crew on ESPN is not bad. Like, it's not a bad crew. I've never had an issue with Carl Ravitch. Never had an issue with David Cohen. I actually really like David Cohen. Eduardo Perez is irrelevant. He tries to be funny every once in a while, but who cares? So, What I'm about to say about this broadcast is nothing personal. They're not bad, but they don't know our baseball team. So there's like small things that bother me. First of all, the game was background noise to them. Their focus was Max Scherzer and sticky stuff for like three innings. Like we get it. It was four or five days ago. The Mets and the Giants are in the midst of what was over the first four innings, a really wacky back and forth game. And all they're talking about is sticky stuff as if the game is complete background information. The other thing that annoyed me, and this is such a minor, minor complaint, but it just shows you to me the difference between a national broadcast that helicopters in and our guys. When Jock Peterson comes to the plate in the first inning after McGill got that huge double play against J.D. Davis, all I could think about is the way Jock Peterson basically bent us over last year in San Francisco. Remember that series? Remember that game? hit like a million home runs, drove in 150 runs. That's all I could think about. These guys had no idea. Like there was no mention of, ah, here's Jock Peterson, fresh off the injured list. Remember what he did to the Mets last year? Every Met fan watching does. So it's a complaint, but it's more just an observation, something we all know. The national broadcast just don't get it the way our local guys do. Not that I needed to have it rubbed in how much Jock Peterson kicks our asses it's just it shows you that 
they don't really know the team or feel the team the way we do and the way our broadcasters do. So I agree with you on that. Uh, and to be honest, they really weren't that terrible. I was agreed. I kind of like the David Cohn. I know you said it was three innings too long on Max Scherzer. But again, there is like a point there where it was like, wow. David Cohn just called out the umpires and baseball and said, you guys are a bunch of morons. For whatever you guys, you made a big deal out of no reason with Max Scherzer. But anyway, that's besides the point. What I will say is this. They need to, national broadcasts need to make it more localized a little bit by bringing in something local about the team, whether it's another analyst, another reporter, play-by-play guy from both teams, just something to add to it, to make it seem that connection. I've always thought for playoff games, you take a broadcaster from each team and you mix them together. So I've always thought that would be good. The truth is, like you said, they weren't the worst in the world. It's only one game. We go back to our SNY guys Tuesday night. It's just an annoyance. My favorite part, though, about the Sunday night broadcast, I got to hand it to him, was Buck Showalter. You know, I've been criticized that I take too many shots at Buck. I love Buck. I just call him out. I thought his interview on the game Sunday night was brilliant. It was just everything about it was great. First of all, he's asked, hey, what are you going to do with Tyler McGill in the fifth inning? And he basically says, I'm not going to tell you. I, I, I'm, I know they may be listening. I don't want to tell Gabe Kapler exactly what I'm going to do. So I'm not going to broadcast it on TV. As soon as he said that, I knew he was taking Miguel out, by the way. Because otherwise, he'd be like, Yo, Tyler's really battling along. I'm going to feel good about Tyler. So I thought Bach kind of gave it away. But I love how he gave it back to them. And then the line of the night. He mentions, well, it was a four o'clock start, and we all know why. <laughs> Basically, you bastards, you guys, you ESPN guys, were on the final game of a 10-game road trip. All of us just want to go home. None of us want to be here any longer than we have to, and we're starting the game three hours late. We know why we're starting three hours late. It's because of you guys. So that was the best part. Even the in-game interview with Brandon Nimmo, like, it was all right. I mean, he told some cool stories about growing up in Wyoming, but it just, the whole guy on the field being interviewed, it feels weird. I, I don't know if I could ever really wrap my head around it because I don't even know if they're naturally doing what they would normally do if there was no camera on them, if there was no microphone on them. So it's a nice try by ESPN and Major League Baseball. doesn't really do it for me. doesn't excite you me that much. You don't think Nimmo is that talkative in between plays? Like, like he did some things where, it, listen, it wasn't like a profound, like, or not a profound, but like, oh my God, like he's such a great ball player. He's so locked in. It's just all basic stuff that they probably do routinely. But at least it was kind of cool to see him, like you know, point out certain things and like, oh, I'm not getting that one or whatever. I feel like I feel like that's him in a nutshell, Brandon Nimmo. It's different. It's it's definitely different. It was all right. I don't think Brandon Nimmo did anything wrong necessarily. The game was just frustrating. It was just a very, very frustrating game because I never felt throughout the two and a half hours that they were going to win. You know, right off the top, Tyler McGill runs into trouble in the first inning, and that's kind of been his M.O. This season, even when he's pitched well, he runs into trouble early, and it was very frustrating because he gives up the leadoff hit to Lamont Wade. I thought it was gone, by the way. Like, I thought that Lamont Wade ball was going out. It actually bounced off the top of the fence, and Marte made a really good defensive play, fielding it off the wall, getting it into second base and holding him to a single. 
Conforto has a really good at bat to draw a walk, and he gets this huge double play against JD Davis. But that always scares me because now you're one out away. There's a runner on third. Can you get that last out and somehow escape the jam? And Jock Peterson, who was such a pain in the ass against the Mets, had a tremendous at bat. I think McGill was ahead either 0 and 2 or 1 and 2. Peterson worked it full 3 and 2, hits that line drive that's a little bit over to Luis Guillorme, and the Giants are up 1 nothing. Then Tyro Estrada hits a bomb in the second inning. And then I thought McGill was going to settle down. Because again, his struggles early have a lot of times turned into really good performances. That afternoon game against the Padres at City Field that wrapped up the homestand, same thing. Got into trouble, settled down. So gives up the run in the first, gives up the run in the second. And all the signs were there that McGill was going to get into a group. Pitches, gets the next three guys out in the second, pitches a relatively clean third inning. And at that point, the Mets are starting to fight back. They score a run. They make it two to one on that Lindor double. Like I mentioned earlier, it was the only thing the big bats, the big, big boys of Lindor and Alonzo did over the last two days. But then that fourth inning was very, very shaky. Gives up a leadoff hit to Yastrzemski. Gives up a base hit to Brandon Crawford. Gives up a base hit to Blake Sable. Uh, and then I thought he had a shot to get the double play on Brett Wisely. And Lindor kind of had issues with the transfer that allowed that run the score. But this is all happening right after the Mets give him the lead. So it was disappointing that it looked like McGill was settling in. It looked like he was going to be able to give him a good five, six innings, two-run baseball. And then he gives up those two runs in the fourth inning, giving the lead right back after the Mets gave it to him. So all in all, it was just a, a disappointing performance by Tyler McGill. And that's on the heels of David Peterson, basically. And we'll get to him in a second or in a few minutes. David Peterson really just sucking and making all Met fans think it's Jonathan Neese 2.0, essentially with Peterson. And if there's one critique of this baseball team right now, even on this West Coast trip, is outside of Hoff's guy, Joey Lucchese, they do not get innings from the starting pitching. And as good as this bullpen is, and it's been mostly good, it's tough to ask to get you know, how many outs out of your bullpen on a nightly basis. So he kept them in the game. I guess that's your positive, but it was a little disappointing for McGill to get knocked around in the fourth inning. And I agree with Buck. I thought it was the right time to take him out because if you're trying to win the baseball game and you do have a well-rested bullpen, which they had, thanks to Yuseta being the only guy they used on Saturday and the off day on Monday. So Buck's got all the arms to use. He can unleash everybody. If you're trying to win that baseball game, there's no way Tyler McGill's going third time around the order in the fifth inning. And Buck made the right call taking him out. But overall, very disappointing performance by Tyler McGill. We want more from him. We expect more from him, especially with all the guys out in the rotation. You start to say, who's your number one? Who's your number two? Who's your number three? McGill's kind of moved up that list. Offensively, it was frustrating because you get the RBI double by Francisco Lindor. You get lucky when Michael Conforto essentially drops a fly ball in right field. But the Mets have good at-bats to score runs. couple of sacrifice flies in that fourth inning. They get the home run from Alvarez, which is great to see, only because he has struggled so much that for him to hit a guy who is so difficult to hit, especially right-handers. I mean, Tyler Rogers is murder on right-handed hitters. And the Mets couldn't touch him as he's kind of breezing through these two innings. So... 
forgetting just this game, I thought it was awesome to see Francisco Alvarez have that kind of success and finally give the Mets something from the catching position. I give ESPN this. They brought up those numbers on the broadcast on Sunday night. I almost didn't realize how pathetic it was that this has been a continuation from last year that the Met catchers had zero extra base hits. When you think about it, it makes sense. Narvaez barely played. Nito, I mean, Nito gets a single. It feels like a home run. Alvarez has been really quiet. So when you think about it, it's not stunning, but they have gotten less production from catcher than they even got last year, which is tough to imagine. But that was it for the offense. Alvarez hits that home run. They get the little infield hit from Mark Hanna. And from that moment on, the Met offense got mowed down completely by this giant bullpen. Brebbia, Alexander, Duvall in the ninth inning. So when you point towards why did they lose this game, number one, Tyler McGill was mediocre. Number two, the offense, even though they scored four runs, which is a little bit less than your average, basically, they didn't do much. I mean, outside of the Lindor RBI double, it was a lot of, I'm glad they scored the runs on sacrifice flies, but they weren't exactly murdering the baseball. And they didn't score runs. They didn't score enough runs. The one thing I, the one thing I want to say about Francisco Alvarez, that first of all, everyone just chill with him. Get off his back. All I keep on seeing is he's overmatched. And listen, is he struggling a little bit? Sure, but he struggled at every level. I will say this, though. You go back to the at-bat before where I think it was bases loaded again. He struck out. Um, the first pitch, the umpire is not helping him. Uh, Curveball outside, doesn't hit the corner, yet he calls him the yeah. strike one. Then he, then he watches the ball bounce in the, pl- bounce in the plate. Like, so he's not, like, ineffective. He's not getting any luck right now. It's still early. You, you play him every day. Those numbers will change. Yeah, he had – it was very frustrating. I mean, I will admit that. You know, he comes up with the bases loaded – after the error by Ross Stripling, bases loaded, one out. You're basically given a gift. And the 3-1 pitch, or was it, uh, I'm sorry, I think it was the 2-2 pitch, looked like it could have been strike three. And Roberto Ortiz, who's the unplayed umpire, called ball three. And it's funny because as that happened, I said out loud, God, I hope he doesn't ground into a double play. We're going to wish that was strike three. <laughs> and he bounces into the double play. And then you mentioned in the, following and he comes up with bases loaded nobody out and strikes out but I thought Ortiz overall I'd say he had a tough night but I'm partial towards umpires having bigger strike zones I don't mind when you're just a little bit bigger and I thought he was I don't know if consistent's the right word I don't know if he was consistent but I didn't think he was awful I just had thought he had a really big strike zone and when you've got that ESPN strike strike box that's going to play with our minds even more if anything's called a strike that ESPN is telling us is not a strike, we're going to think, oh, my God, Ortiz is a schmuck. Truthfully, he was calling a bigger strike zone, which in general I like. Obviously, there are moments in a game in which it feels like a big swing, and I think that's a good point, Pete, with Alvarez, that that first pitch was out of the K zone. It's called a strike, and it changes the whole complexion of the at-bat. I'm just saying in general, I like the bigger strike zone. And I thought Ortiz all single night all, all night long was calling just a bigger strike zone. Well, speaking of calling strikes and balls and whatnot, Alvarez, first of all, looked at him and was like, dude, that first pitch was a little outside. But besides it that, was. it was outside. we we talk about Alvarez. One thing we haven't really talked about, he's been good behind the plate. He's been fine. Yeah. He's been I fine. Know. And that was always their biggest issue with him, right? 
Yeah, hundred percent. That so, so are we at this point now? I understand it's just one home run, so we're not going to sit here and, and go into like, okay, he's got to play every single game the rest of the season. But is it time to now shift to put Alvarez behind the plate more than fifty percent of the time? Well, they just had a ten-game road trip. Off the top of your head, do you know how many games he started on this ten-game road trip? I'm going to say four. He started five. It was 50-50. And I know you just said, hey, isn't it time to see more than 50-50? I would counter and say this is the beginning of 50-50 because when he was first called up, he wasn't playing 50-50. It was two out of three every single time for Tomas Nito. And I remember before the West Coast trip started, we were predicting, hey, how many of these 10 games would he play? And I think my prediction was three. And I'm glad I'm wrong because he's playing more. He just is. Is it enough for you and I and a lot of Met fans? I don't think it's ever going to be enough until he's literally playing every single day. But I think we are starting to see that shift. We are from Buck just playing him more, just throwing him out there. And we've seen him catch almost everybody. And we are starting to see, we saw him catch Max Scherzer during that game in Los Angeles. And I think that's also really important that he's comfortable catching everybody. So it does feel like the Mets are starting to play Alvarez a little bit more. He does have that home run, which shows you, all right, he's got a little bit of pop. Other than that, it was not a great offensive day. He struck out against Doval on three or four pitches in the ninth, and we mentioned the two bases loaded spots he was up in. And and that's not me saying you shouldn't play. Of course you should play. Guys are going to struggle. I said this about Anthony Volpe on the fan. Every day till June 1st. On June 1st, we reevaluate and we say, hey, can he play in the major leagues? Is he struggling too much? Should he be sent back down? And Volpe's had his moments. He's played better recently. On Sunday, he made a huge error and went 0 for 4. What does that mean? Does that mean he shouldn't play shortstop anymore? No. He's got to go out there and play every day. And I think Alvarez is the same way. And I bring him up because Volpe and Alvarez are two of the biggest prospects in baseball. They're not just prospects. They're elite-level prospects. So I'm not saying because he left a country on base in his first two at-bats, he shouldn't play again. No, he should be out there every day. And what makes it easier for us is we're comparing it to Tomas Nito, who is hitting, I know he had that bunt base hit, so that raised his average. He fell under 100. I think he, at some point on Saturday, he was sitting like 097. And he gets that bunt hit, so it brings the average up like 30 points or whatever it was.